So if, again, if you are new, and if this is one of your first, uh, if this is your first Sunday or one of your first at Cornerstone, we're really glad to have you. Again, my name is Danny, and I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, something about our church that we are really, um, I don't know, proud of and, and do very intentionally is that all of the five members of our staff, we reserve a lot of time in our weekly schedules, uh, protect big blocks and chunks of our time in order to spend time with all of you. And so if anybody would like to connect with a pastor, get coffee or a meal together, um, chat one-on-one, three-on-one, whatever, with you and a friend or anybody, we're, we're always available. Um, so come connect with a, uh, a welcoming team member in the lobby, or you can find me after service. Coincidentally, I'm the only one on staff here today. The rest are all different uh, uh, things that have taken them out, out of town for this Sunday. So sorry, like I'm the only option, at least for today. So if you want Bill, you can wait uh, until when he gets back or one of the others. But um, I'd be really happy to connect with any of you. Uh, whoa, uh, today. Uh, that's a magic trick. Um, yeah, so come find me. I'll be probably in this room after service if you would like to learn a little bit more about us, um, have any questions, or even just schedule something so that we can get together at any point. So um, yeah, I'm going to be giving the message today. So let me uh, pray for us just one additional time. And then we'll jump into receiving God's word together. So before I pray, if you could just keep your eyes closed. Um, you know, sometimes we come into church eager and ready um, to receive God's word. And sometimes we, we just turn on the autopilot. And like, I guess it's, we by nature know that we're going to receive God's word, but we haven't even given it a second thought. Um, but one of the amazing privileges and the, one of the greatest treasures we have in this life is that we can open up God's word and, and know who he is. And so whether you came in wanting or whether you didn't even think about it, or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum where your heart is hardened against it, I just want to pray for all of us now. And if you feel convicted to, and if you're hungry, or maybe you're not, but you're desperate, I just want to invite you to just open your palms um, as a symbol of wanting to receive from God. And I'll pray for us. Lord God, your word accomplishes whatever you want it to. Your word softens hearts. Your word reaches us when we at least expect it. Your word reveals more sides of you than we've ever known before, even if we've known you since we were little kids. Your word stirs up hearts that are apathetic. Your word um, transforms lives so that they are never, ever the same again. And it is our greatest treasure. And so we're all over the spectrum in terms of where we're at in readiness but we know that your spirit also meets us wherever we're at, regardless of our readiness. And so we pray that this 20, 30 minutes of spending time studying who you are and what you, the life that you want for us and the abundance of life that you want for us, I pray that it would meet each person right where they're at and then lead us gently more into your presence because that's where we want to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. So this morning, I want to begin by asking a very simple question and just to ask everybody, who's the most prayerful person that you know in your life? So I'm actually going to pause because it might take some time to think about it. It I had all the time in the world this week to think about it. I don't know, maybe I'll give you like a few seconds. But think about that. Who's the most 
prayerful person in your life that you know? And if somebody comes to mind, picture that person, who they are, their name, maybe you think about their face. And and now think about what else is unique about them. I'm going to guess that the most prayerful person you know probably has other qualities that you admire. What are those? What do you admire about the qualities of this specific person that you're thinking about? What else makes them special to you other than the fact that they are very prayerful? So for me, it's my grandmother. Uh, She was probably the most prayerful person I ever, ever knew. She was constantly bringing things before God and constantly on her knees and praying fervently to God. And I remember when I was a little kid, because she raised me for a big chunk of my childhood, I remember she prayed so much it was annoying to me. Like I couldn't stand it. She would force me and my sister and my cousins to do family worship together. And I remember as we were little kids, she, we would get to the end of our worship service and she would, okay, kids, we're going to pray now. And all of us would be like, hold on, hold on, grandma, grandma, promise us that you're only going to pray for a short period of time. And she'd be like, okay, okay, I promise. And of course we knew that was a blatant lie. She was prayerful, but she was also a liar. You know, she would lie and she wouldn't pray short. And she would go on and on so long that we would just, like, I would just lay down at one point and just wait for her to finish. My cousin would be, like, poking his sister. Like, somebody would pull out, like, a coloring book, and we would start coloring. And no matter what the four kids around her were doing, she would be undistracted and just keep praying and praying and praying. I remember I would lay down and just take a nap, and then I would just wait for her to say, and in Jesus' name, and then I would pop up and sit up and be like, amen. And like, can we go play now? And we would run off. And I think about that today. And what an amazing and wonderful quality to have that you pray so much that it's annoying to other people. Right? What an awesome thing. I love my grandma. And I don't know what comes first, right, in this whole prayerfulness thing plus other special qualities about people. Maybe it's like a chicken or the egg kind of debate where we don't know which one comes first. But when I think about her, I also remember her to be someone who was so, so stinking selfless. She had a heart to put other people's needs above her own. And it was also seen in her prayer life because she was so often praying for other people and not herself. See, there's something that happens in us. Maybe it's like this self-feeding cycle that happens where there isn't necessarily a beginning or the end where prayerful people are shaped into godly people. And also that godly people tend to be prayerful people. And it's a version of, of what's called a virtuous cycle. A virtuous cycle is, is when a consequence of one good thing feeds into, the, into another, which the consequence of that feeds back into the original one or to another, and it just loops one good thing leading into another, and it keeps you in this thing called a virtuous cycle. So like my grandmother, being prayerful, other, prayerful for others probably fed into her being selfless, and her selflessness probably led her into being prayerful to others, and it just loops. It's the virtuous cycle. So for today, it's our second-to-last sermon on prayers, and the second-to-last prayer we're going to talk about is someone who I think meets this description perfectly, someone who's in the prayerful, virtuous cycle. And we'll see in this story that we're going to read and that he's someone we can definitely learn from and emulate, and this man is Daniel. So today we're going to be reading from probably the most famous chapter of Daniel's life, uh, Daniel chapter 6. So let's read this together. 
It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds or charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel, and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So for today's sermon, I have two simple points. Two things that Daniel models for us in his life that you and I can emulate And it's this, that Daniel prays with persistency and with consistency. So firstly, Daniel prays with persistency. Is there a slide for that? Daniel prays with persistency. So the story begins with Daniel being appointed by the king as the head administrator over all the kingdom. And this doesn't sit well with the rest of the group because, one, he's an outsider, He's an exile brought into a new country, a new land among people that he doesn't belong with. And they're just jealous. So out of their jealousy, they group together and they scheme to take this guy down. So we read this, and in verse 4, At this, the administrators of Sachap tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, if you've ever been in a leadership meeting with me, you know I am obsessed with these two verses. 
how like, like I like look at my grandma, right? And I admire her for the fact that, man, like how awesome to to be annoying, annoyingly prayerful. Look at this. These guys go after Daniel. They try to dig up all the dirt on him and they can't find anything against him. So much so that they say, unless it has to do with God's way, we're not going to find anything. He's so faithful. These guys dig up and they scheme to find all the skeletons in Daniel's closet. And we don't know exactly what they did, but I imagine if it was like today's version, they would have hired a, like a PI, a private investigator to like, you know, follow him around and like, you know, lean like in their car and like take pictures of him. Maybe it's somebody to dig up all the posts he made in his social media to, to find a post that maybe didn't age so well. They would have asked and interviewed people. Hey, hey, you know that guy, you worked with him or, oh, you were his neighbor. Like, what are some sketchy things that he did? I don't know what they did, but they did everything they could and they come to a realization, he's a good man. We can't find anything about him. They do all the work and the conclusion they come up with is that we will never find any charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has to do something with the law of his God. So they have to manipulate God's word in order to have any dirt on him. It's the only way, and of all the many things in God's law, Look at the very specific thing that these guys target. Verse 6, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king, saying, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors of all agreed with the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, shall be thrown into the lion's den. They target prayer. See, Daniel is so persistent in praying to God that it's what these jealous guys have to manipulate in order to take him down. They make it illegal for Daniel to pray. He prayed persistently. Secondly, Daniel prays with consistency. Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So Daniel hears about this new law being passed, that it's illegal for anybody to pray other than to this king. And immediately, Scripture says, he goes home and he does just as what he did before. He prays three times a day. So not even risking his life would stop this guy from being prayerful. A part of me wonders, Daniel, you could have been prayerful, but just change stuff, right? Like, why didn't you close the windows? You know, they come knocking, doom, doom, doom. Daniel, what are you doing in there? He's like, ah, I'm changing. I'm naked. Don't come in. Like, why didn't you just do anything to just avoid being seen praying? Or can't we just pray without, like, doing this? Like, I could pray like, like this. Like, <laughs> you can't tell me that I'm not. But he doesn't change anything, not even his posture. Simple things that could have avoided him from being caught in doing this illegal deed. He's like, nope, I'm going to do exactly what I did before. I'm going to pray three times a day, in my prayer room that's on the roof of my house, that's visible to the people around me, on my knees. And ultimately, he pays the, well, he kind of pays the price. He gets sentenced to execution because of his consistency in prayer. Daniel prays with persistency and consistency. So an easy sermon right now would be to wrap up at this point. See this guy? You do the same thing. Cornerstone, go home. Be persistent, be consistent. That would be the easy sermon. It probably wouldn't be a very helpful one. 
Because if you're like me, it's not a matter of desire. I would love to be like Daniel. I'm, that's literally my name. I was named after the guy. How many of us would love to be like Daniel? It's not so much like you don't want it. You would be honored. Imagine if when I said in the beginning of the message, hey, everybody think about the most prayerful person in your life. If your friends started thinking about you, wouldn't that be such a great feeling? To know that like you're so connecting with God that people around you are noticing how prayerful you are. It's not a matter of desire for a lot of us. It's much easier said than done. It's maybe it's more so a matter of, of execution. So what gets in the way? What gets in the way for us to be persistent and consistent in our prayer lives? I'm sure there's a lot of things, but today I just want to focus on one thing. So earlier I mentioned the virtuous circle, right? Where one good thing leads into another. And it seems like Daniel is in the virtuous circle. Because maybe he prays so much because he's a good man with whom no one can find fault. Or... Maybe he's a good man whom no one can find fault because he's prayerful. I don't know. The virtuous cycle will say to, to teach us that it's neither. It's both. It's not an either or. It's that you don't know. There's no start. It's just two arrows going around and around and around, feeding into each other, benefiting from each other, as well as fueling the other. I wonder, and I want to propose to all of us, that I wonder if the boundary for a lot of us in our prayer lives, especially in being persistent and consistent, is that we're in a vicious cycle. See, a vicious cycle is the opposite of the virtuous one. It's a negative pattern of events where you get stuck in the feedback loop. One action is strengthened by the consequence, which fills the next one, and the next one, and so on. We use the term pretty casually in everyday life. We're in a vicious cycle. I think you all know what I'm talking about, but let's just make sure that we're on the same page and just use some silly examples. Let's talk about flossing, right? Nobody likes flossing. Because you floss and then, ow, it hurts. My gums are stinging. I'm bleeding. You spit into the sink and there's blood everywhere. But the reason why your gums are bleeding and they hurt is because you don't floss. But because they bleed and they hurt, you don't want to floss, which is going to make them bleed. And You know, you get the point. It goes around and around. Or for many of us, I'm sure, we're tired all the time. And so we wake up and we're sleepy. And the first thing we do is we grab the cup of coffee. And then we have the second one. But then that evening, we're not going to sleep very well because we had too many cups of coffee, which means when we wake up, we're tired again, which makes us grab the cup of coffee. It's the vicious cycle. You get the point. See, I wonder if the vicious cycles prevents us from having the prayerful life that we desire. And for many of us, the entry in the fuel of the vicious cycle when it comes to prayer includes one or multiple of these things. Maybe this is you. Example, you feel like you're spiritually dry, or and you're in like a spiritual funk. Maybe you feel distant from God and that gets you in or keeps you in the vicious cycle. Maybe you're not well with the church or with Christian community. Or you've experienced something painful or traumatic that's just really difficult emotional season for you. You're too busy or distracted or tired maybe. Or you're so apathetic about life in general. You don't even care about the... like huge things in your life. Why would you even have enough attention to care about prayer? See, if you look at this list and the, these six things, what proves to me that there absolutely is a vicious cycle when it comes to our prayer lives is that the very reasons that keep us from praying are and should be the very reasons that drive us to prayer. Right? If I'm not doing well with God, sometimes the vicious cycle keeps me from praying. But if we're not doing well with God, shouldn't that be the very reason why I get down on my knees three times a day? 
somehow it gets flipped. There's like a backwardness about it that's happening. And the reason why I think is because the vicious cycle was a spiritual one. It's, it's sneaky, it's crafty, and it's effective. Here's what I mean. Let's go back to the dental thing. No, sorry, dentists in the house or future dentists. No one wants to see the dentist, right? It's not, it's not exactly something we look forward to. We mark the calendar. Ooh, like I can't wait for my filling. There's, ain't nobody thinking that way. So we avoid them. We, we just, ah, maybe if you're good, you go to your six-month cleanings and your x-rays. But we don't want anything to do with them. But ouch, toothache or ouch, like filling fell out and oh, like, okay, I guess I have to go. So we call the dentist. We're like, oh, my tooth hurts. And they go in. They fix the filling or they give us a crown, whatever. So we, only for us after that to spend as much time away from them as possible until the next traumatic or difficult or painful things happen. But when those bad things happen, we go to them because they're the source of our solution. My roommate is not going to give me a filling, right? <laughs> Unless they take like putty and just like, you know, kind of smear it in there. We have to go to the dentist. Live with the pain or go. Make your choice. Have you ever noticed that it feels flipped with God? Have you ever thought of that? We avoid the dentist all the time. But with God, we spend lots and lots of time with him as Christians. Every Sunday, we go to church. 628 or something like here at Cornerstone. Then we sign up for Wednesday small group. If you have that at campus or in young adult CG, we show up on Thursdays at Abide. If we were doing retreats in normal time, which we used to, oh my goodness, Cornerstone kicks butt with retreats. There are 200 people signing up, and we're going to God all the time. We're not avoiding him like the dentist. We go, 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 go. But then, ouch, toothache, something bad happens in my life, or a loved one of mine is not doing well, or something comes up on the news that's discouraging to me, some sort of pain or apathy, or I'm too busy and tired. And instead of going to the source of our solution to fix the filling, don't we often find ourselves running away for some reason? Suddenly, we've been spending all this time with God, but suddenly we don't want anything to do with Him. When is precisely the time that we need him the most? And so at the worst, we blame him. We say, God, this is your fault, so I don't want anything to do with you. Or at its best, we just just turn our backs. Like, yeah, I'm just going to distance myself a little bit. For some reason, when life is going great, we're like great at attendance, and then life goes hard, and we're like, oh, I don't want to go to church anymore. But isn't that like saying, I need somebody to fix my tooth and be like, ah, I'm not going to go to the dentist, when they're precisely the source of what you need? How many of us perpetuate our spiritual funk because instead of going closer to the one that we need to, to help us, we end up distancing ourselves more? It can't just be me, right? I mean, I can't really see your face. I don't know what you're thinking, but it's, I'm it's convinced it's not just me. I think this is an experience all of us share. And I The reason why I think all of us share that is because this is one of the enemy's most effective strategies to undercut your faith. The enemy is really good at this. Because when we need him the most, when we need God the most, the enemy gets you to avoid him the most. Right? We often think that the enemy's best schemes are like the big and bad things like famine or war and like what about the fact that something bad happens and we can easily turn to God and he gets hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of believers to be like, I don't want anything to do with him. It's effective. And so the vicious cycle keeps us looping and looping and looping. And we get manipulated to get into the loop and to stay there. Life gets hard. Something disappointing happens. 
And so we enter the loop. So we seek God less and we pray less and we avoid him more, which makes life more disappointing and more difficult, which means that we're definitely praying less. So life becomes more empty and difficult and we loop. And this has been since the beginning of time and definitely since the beginning of I've known Jesus and as long as I've been in ministry, I've always talked to people about this. But after COVID and all these things that are happening in the world, when we need him so stinking badly, I just feel like it's everyone. We need him, but we're avoiding him more and more and more. And a lot of your friends that you used to sit next to are not sitting next to you right now. And our hearts break about that. Are you in the cycle right now? Maybe you dragged yourself here, but you're in it. Or maybe a loved one, a friend of yours is in it right now. Let's not run away, friends. Let's go to the source of everything that we need in this life. Let's run to him. See, persistency and consistency in prayer is not for the spiritual giants that, oh, that's not me. It's for every believer who needs God in their life, and that is all of us. In every season, whether things are going great or whether things are going poorly. And so this morning, I want to do two things. Firstly, I want to encourage you, if it hasn't been clear enough, that you're not alone in this. I'm convinced it's, it's all of us at some point have experienced this. I have. Maybe the neighbors who are seated next to you have experienced the same thing. We're in this together. And secondly, I want to invite you to join me in fighting back. Our battle is not with each other. Our battle is not with God. Our battle is with the flesh. Our battle is with the enemy. And I want to invite you in joining me in fighting back and pushing against because we have the Holy Spirit with and in us and working for us, and we have his power, the power of God in Jesus' name as his beloved children to destroy the vicious cycle so that each and every person can live in the full abundance of what God wants for you. That is accessible to every single one of you. And those of you who despair about your friends who've said they don't want anything to do with Jesus anymore, and your heart breaks to them, like I'm like holding back tears because of how many people I'm thinking about in my mind right now, it's available to them too. It's available. It's right there. We just need to open up our palms a little bit and ask for more of him. We can live in that freedom. And so my application is really simple. This is how we're going to fight back. And this is how I'm going to imagine all of us an army and we're just battling. It's hard for you to pray. You feel distant from God. But even, even if that's you, I mean, no, 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 sorry. Rewind, not even, especially if that's you. I want to invite you to join me this week I'm going to be doing it in my office. I hope you're going to be doing it on your commute, at home, in your dorm, in the classroom, at your office, in your cubicle, in your bathroom while you're sitting on the toilet. I don't care where you are. Three times a day, let's just pray. Even if it's a five-second prayer. Even if it's a 10-minute prayer. I don't care what the content is. Let's pray three times a day this week. And then I want to invite you to ask a friend to do it with you. Say, hey, I've been really struggling with my prayer life but I, I don't want to anymore. This vicious cycle stuff is, is fun for nobody. Nobody likes being there. And so I want to do something about it so that I don't sit there anymore. So just invite a friend be like, or multiple. Hey, can you help me? Let's, can we help each other? Can we hold each other accountable and just text each other at the end of the night? Hey, how many times did you pray this 
today. Two, three, one, maybe more, five. And then if you text back one, just pray two more times before the, the night is over and you can sharpen and love on each other. Friends, I have a feeling that most of us have had a season in your life where you were experiencing so much joy because of what Jesus meant for you. I think that you can look back and you remember, man, those were good times. And it had nothing to do with my job or my schooling or what my relationships were like. It was because I was just waking up and walking with the Lord and he satisfied every single one of my needs. I imagine all of you remember those days. And don't you miss them? And it's time for us as a church to stop blaming COVID for the fact that we're not having that right now. It's time for the church to stop blaming capital riots or megachurch pastors' failures. It's time to stop blaming the fact that we were in isolation for too long or that we didn't have in-person church and that, oh, online church doesn't do it for me. Well, we're in person now. What happened? It's time for us to stop blaming all the people that did bad things to us. It's time for us to realize that God has something for you. And we just need to ask Him and seek Him. And I'm not saying you need to take all these steps and walk up a mountain. You can just say, God, can you come to me? And He's going to meet you where you're at. I think all of us want that life. And I want to put this gently. It's time for all of us to stop making excuses. All these bad things happen to me. I don't want anything to do with God. I hope all of our prayers change to you. All these bad things happen to me. God, I need you so bad right now. We stopped earlier in the chapter. We didn't read the remainder of it. And today, in closing for this message, I want to read the remainder of the story so that we behold the goodness, the power, the majesty of our God, of Daniel's God that he keeps praying to and what he does in this life. And a part of me leaving this to the end is to act as an encouragement. A part of it is also to not distract us with the lions. This story is not about lions. It's about God. You guys know, I mean, I guess a lot of you are new, but those of you who are old-timers know how much I hate when we think Bible stories about a character that are not important. It's not a story about lions. Isn't that BBC, National Geographic, David Attenborough? is God, Yahweh, showing his people how awesome he is. And I hope that you leave with beholding how good he is and the fact that this is the same God who loves and cares for you and everything that's happening in your life today. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring with the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. I don't want to go into seminary Bible study mode right here, but that's a big sentence because it's about to be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lion's? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. 
The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And at the king's command, the men who falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree. This is going to be a very different decree than his previous one. That in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. See, this God who saves Daniel from the lions, this God who lives forever, whose dominion will never end, whose kingdom will not be destroyed, who rescues and saves and signs and wonders, this is the one that we can run to with persistent and consistent prayer, no matter what season you are in your life. And if you're thinking, oh, hold on a second though, the whole prayer that Daniel, or that they lifted up is that Daniel was faultless. Did God send his angel and protect him from the lions and leave no scratch on him because he was faultless? I am full of faults. Well, here's the good news, that because of Jesus, because of his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven and his reigning, he gives you his righteousness. So we sing that, faultless stand before the throne, that song we sing it often. And that's you. No matter how dirty and broken and sinful you feel at this moment, one day when you see him face to face, he's going to look at your credit and your record, and the judge will say, innocent, in always." Because of the blood of Jesus that washes each and every one of his children white as snow. And so all this, the power of the living God who saves Daniel from the den of lions, he is the source of everything that you need and he is ready to give it to you. So those of you who are discouraged, I'm with you. I'm so, so with you. But where I'm also at is I'm ready to push back. And I want to ask you to be with me. Let's pray together. Let's seek the source of everything that we need. Let's live the abundant life that we have because we are his precious children bought with his blood. Let's rejoice in this God, the God of Daniel who saves and in whose kingdom will never be destroyed. Let's go to him now and pray together. And I'll, with a lot of joy, just pray for us all. Lord, thank you that you meet us where we're at. Man, our, our lives are just so like bonkers right now. It's all over the place. This world is all over the place. Everything seems chaotic. And I don't know everything that's gone on in the, in the lives of my friends here, but oh, we just are groaning and letting out collective sighs left and right because life has been difficult. And we want to recognize that, for maybe not everybody, but I think for a lot of us, we've experienced, or even right now, we're in this, this vicious cycle where discouragement begets distance from you and it loops. But we want to be near you. We want to be close to you. 
We want to feel the toothache and go to the one who can actually fix it. We want to dwell in your presence. We want to experience you. We want to hear your voice and know that you are with us in our time of need. We want to approach and kneel before the throne of grace and to find grace there to help us in our time of need. And so, Father, I know that some of us, the last thing we want to do right now is pray, but I know your Holy Spirit can give us the strength to seek you. And that's what I want to ask of everybody here. Help us this week to pray consistently and persistently, no matter what's happening in our lives. And I pray that as Cornerstone, we would do it together. And Lord, we also lift up a special prayer for those who are not here. We lift up a special prayer for those who are despairing, those who've lost sight of you, those who are wounded and feel like they're limping and they are never going to run again. Holy Spirit, we trust you. We trust you more than the outward and external circumstances. And we trust that your love for them is more abounding and powerful and far-reaching than we can ever know. And so we thank you for loving our family and friends in the way that you do. Would you seize their hearts and draw them back to you? And we ask the same of us. Seize our hearts and make us long for you more and more today. So be with us now as we sing a couple more songs of praise. We pray that it would be entrance into a virtuous cycle. We pray that these lyrics would challenge us and encourage us and lead us to praise. And the fact that we're praising would encourage us and that we would loop and loop and loop all for your glory. For all of this is for you and for you alone. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.